0: Well, wherever you are, happy Easter to you. Uh, I think it's fair to say that this Easter is probably a little strange for you. Um, I suspect uh, your Easter dress today might be a little different than in years past. Some of you may even still be in your PJs. Um, neighborhood Easter egg hunts this year, I suspect, are probably not an option. And and I wouldn't dare uh, boil paint and hide my eggs this year. I haven't had real eggs in weeks, um, and, and it doesn't take long uh, to be on social media and realize that people are completely losing their minds, uh, making fools of themselves. Um, I, I find it very entertaining and a bit comforting, um, knowing that I'm not the only one. For crying out loud, I, I never thought I'd be so excited uh, about watching a couple NBA players play a game of horse on TV, And so if you're feeling a little stir-crazy, know that you're not alone. Um, But in all seriousness, I, I think it's in our face obvious that the world right now is turned upside down. Most of the world at this moment is in quarantine from the coronavirus. Uh, people are fearful to go to the grocery store. Domestic abuse around the country is spiking. Mental health is on the decline. People are losing jobs. Businesses are trying to figure out how to stay open. Retirements and 401k plans have tanked. It's estimated that 1.4 billion kids around the world are now homeschooling, uh, most, many of which don't have the technology necessary to do it, and not to mention uh, cases of the coronavirus are exponentially rising by the day with hospitals beginning to be maxed out while trying to figure out how they can get enough protective gear to treat the patients that they have. All the while, thousands are dying uh, around the world by the day. I think we can all agree at the moment the world is a bit bleak, but yet here we are on Easter Sunday in quarantine. Uh, Many, I'm sure, are listening or watching Searching for some sort of hope today, some sort of encouragement, some sort of good news, and I want to assure you that yes, indeed, we do have good news today. Today we celebrate that Christ rose from the dead, that Christ has risen from the grave, which yes, this is a great, unchangeable, unshakable, earth-shattering, world-altering, life-altering truth. But I do want to be very careful here because it's my guess that our Christian hope may not be the hope that some of us were hoping for today. I say that because in times of crisis, the hope we're often looking for is getting out of the crisis. If we're waiting to hear that everything's going to be okay, uh, the economy will come back and you won't get sick and you'll have a job in three months, you're going to be disappointed today because you're not going to hear that. You're not going to hear that today. The economy may bounce back. Uh, You and the people you love may not get sick. You may have a job in three months, or to be quite frank with you, you may not but I still want to be very clear, we still have hope and joy today. Uh, And then we can still have hope and joy today in the midst of uncertainty. It just may not be what you expected. But what I want us to see today is that our Christian hope, it's sufficient in times of crisis. And it's not just sufficient, it is rejoicing worthy. Our hope can stir and sustain us while the world is turned upside down. And I would argue that the hope that we have as Christians, it's far better than job security and any sort of good health, because we see so clearly today that as we look out at our world, the jobs, jobs and economy, right, they come and go. Our, our health is certified guaranteed at some point to one day deteriorate kingdoms and governments rise and fall friends and families businesses and our health they all come and go rise and fall there's not a single thing on this planet that will last forever apart from our christian hope and so my prayer is that by the end of our time we would untie our hope to what is fleeting we would untie our hope to what will not last and tie it to the only thing that will last And by the end of our time, I pray that you will agree with me, and maybe you'll even be able to rejoice with me that the greatest hope we have this Easter is found in why we celebrate Easter, which is our main idea today, that Jesus is alive. Jesus is alive. That's our Christian hope. That's the greatest hope that we have today. And as we've seen, as we've gone through 1 Peter, some of you guys, some of us have been going through 1 Peter in our groups. Uh, It says in chapter 1, verses 24 and 25 in 1 Peter, everything else, right? Everything is like the grass. And all its glory, like the flowers of the grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. If you're confused by this or you don't quite get it, um, that's okay. Just listen in. Just listen in. And as we talk about our Christian hope today, uh, I think it would be helpful un- for us to understand hope, for us to all be on the same page. You know, because it's a word that often gets thrown around a lot. Uh, and, but, he- but here's how I would define hope. You'll see here. Hope is tied to a future event based on identifiable truth. Now, let me explain this for a second. You know, by definition, hope is tied to a future event to want something to desire something want something to happen anticipating something to happen wanting it to be true but it's also found hope is also found in a present day identifiable truth it's tied to good evidence good hope is tied to good evidence here's a small example in sports we can uh, we all hope that our teams will win for example Tampa Bay Buccaneers fans, uh, all of a sudden have hope for winning a Super Bowl this year. Uh, And that future hope of a Super Bowl is tied to the fact that we now have a 42-year-old quarterback, uh, the GOAT named Tom Brady. Okay? Uh, Is it misguided hope? Absolutely. The guy is 42 years old, but the hope is based in the evidence that he's the greatest quarterback of all time, and he somehow seems to get younger by the year. (laughs) So there's a little hope. But here's some more serious present day examples. Some some things that we see that are a little bit more serious. We can be hopeful that a coronavirus medicine will come in the future uh, and hope that it comes soon. We're being hopeful that the economy, as we said, will bounce back in the future and come back quickly. And as I said, future hope is tied to a present day truth. And the amount of hope that we can have is tied to the certainty of that truth. How much hope we have in the Buccaneers' winning a Super Bowl is tied to Tom Brady's history, his current playing ability mixed with the Bucks' history, which some say is good enough for an eight and eight season this year. I hope, uh, you know, a hope for a quick cure to the coronavirus is tied to the optimism of pharmaceutical science mixed with the reality of the timeline of how long it takes to approve medicine, to go through tests, which seems to be ever-changing by the day. It varies by the day depending on what you read, and all of, all, all of that to say, you know, it brings me to think it's uh, it's fair to say that hope is tied to a future event based on an identifiable truth. And so, as we'll see today, uh, our Christian hope it keeps us moving, it keeps us going, and it's completely tied to the resurrection—the belief that Jesus is alive. It's either true or it's not. It's either true or it's not. If it's true that Jesus is alive, if he rose from the dead, then we have an unbelievable hope. It's certain. It's unshakable. It's an eternal hope. If this is true, our lives cannot be the same. And we can rejoice in the midst of chaos. But if it's not true, then Christians all over the world are to be pitied. And the world in front of you, in front of us, in my opinion, it seems a bit bleak. If it's not true, I personally, along with the rest of our church, should be mocked and called fools, devoting our entire life to a lie. Right? The resurrection, it's either true or it's not. We either have an unbelievable hope or we have a hope that's tied to a complete lie. And so, to, and so today, this Easter, uh, while we're in a global crisis, we're going to put the resurrection on trial in the courtroom of our own homes, okay? Uh, if this were a Zoom call, I'd have a backdrop of some sort of courtroom here today. Uh, but we don't have that because this is not a Zoom call, although I've been on quite a few of those over the past month, as many of you have. But anyways, because we're going to inspect our hope, we're going to put it on trial. We're going to evaluate if our hope is true. We're going to evaluate if it can be trusted. And so if you have your Bibles, we're going to be at the end of Mark today in chapter 15 and 16. Uh, If you're listening or if you're watching for the first time, Our church has been going through the book of Mark, asking the simple question, who is Jesus? Seeing that he's either the greatest con artist of all time, or he's worthy of our worship and devotion. And and last week, we looked at Mark 15, which was the death of Jesus. It was the humiliation of Jesus. We saw his crucifixion, and in all of it, uh, we saw specifically that when Jesus died, he took on our sin and shame. That Jesus didn't just leave the cross. No, he defeated the cross. He could have come down. He could have come down in his own power, but that wasn't his plan because he knew what was on the other side of the cross. And today we celebrate that Jesus is not dead, but no, we celebrate that Jesus is alive. And we'll get to why that's so important for us today, uh, why Jesus is alive, why that's so important. But first, we need to put, put it on trial to see if it's true, We need to inspect the certainty of our hope. Is our hope, is it good enough for an eight and eight season, so to speak? Does it, does our hope change based on the current day news cycle? Does our hope change based off of probability and odds? Uh, John Piper just recently wrote a book on the coronavirus, and he said, uh, he said, is our hope based on the sand of probability or the rock of certainty? Is our hope found in firm foundation that never changes, can it not be shaken? And I think we'll see today that yes, it's an unshakable and firm foundation of hope that can lead us to rejoice in the midst of chaos. And as we'll see, Mark ends his book putting extra emphasis on the fact that the resurrection is true, that it really happened, that yes, Jesus is alive. And so we're going to structure our time pretty simply, looking first at the reliability of the resurrection. And then secondly, the hope of the resurrection. The two simple points. You know, we're going to walk through our entire story. Uh, the first point is going to be tied mainly to the story, uh, the reliability of the resurrection, the history of it. That's what we're going to look at in our first point. Inspecting uh, the confidence we can have that it's true, putting it on trial in the courtroom of our homes. And then secondly, we're going to ask the question, we're going to see why does all of this even matter? Why is the resurrection, why does it provide so much hope for us today? And you know, oftentimes... We talk about the life of Jesus, his teaching, uh, the death of Jesus, the cross, his crucifixion, how he paid for our sins, and then the resurrection. It's often just like a, an afterthought. Oh, oh yeah, he he rose from the dead, uh, but no, the resurrection is not an afterthought. No, the entire Christian faith it hinges on the resurrection. And someone says they follow Christ, but deny that he rose from the dead. I don't know how to put it more bluntly. That person is not a Christian. They're not a Christian. And to take it a step further, any church that denies that Jesus rose from the dead because of some perceived human logic that people can't rise from the dead, that is not a Christian hope. In my opinion, in my opinion it's nothing more than, a, more than a book club and a social club because everything in Christianity, it hinges on the truthfulness of the resurrection. Is it true? And so if you have your Bibles open Follow along with me in Mark 15, starting where we left off last week. We're going to start in verse 40. Uh, This is right after Jesus breathed his last breath on the cross. Verse 40 begins in chapter 15. This is what it says. There were also women looking on from a distance, among whom were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and the younger of Joseph and Salome. And when he was in Galilee, they followed him and ministered to him. And there were also many other women who came up with him to Jerusalem at first glance uh, this may feel like a passing statement and in some ways it is uh, but what we need to understand about mark is that the guy is often in a hurry uh, he gets to the point and he moves on and he doesn't add a bunch of fluff uh, he's just very direct he says immediately over and over again in the book of mark we see how he how he moves quickly you know he starts off the book of mark with a bang uh, and then he he also uh, we will see in a few minutes, he also ends the book of Mark rather uh, abruptly. Uh, so, so Mark isn't wasting a lot of words. And so we see in these two verses, Mark is beginning to prove that the resurrection really happened. He's emphasizing the events around it, showing that it really happened. He's showing, the, number one, the reliability of the resurrection. And so here, the court begins. We begin our day in court. <laughs> and in these two verses, Mark is calling the first eyewitnesses of jesus's death and resurrection to the stand he's calling an unlikely witness today he's calling uh three women and this is not to downplay women or to be chauvinistic in fact women are to be honored here you know they're they're the first eyewitnesses and as we'll see in a second they were they're just they're being they're being shown as eyewitnesses they're they're the first eyewitnesses that see the resurrection but culturally during this time Women, men, women were not accepted in the court of law. And so if Mark wanted to fabricate, if he wanted to make up a really good story uh, to make it acceptable and reliable in the court of law, he would have made uh, men to be the first witnesses, to be the first eyewitnesses. <laughs> but no, that's not what he did. He told the truth. He's telling the, so- the story with precision and accuracy. He's telling the story the way it actually, it, the way it really happened. And look beginning at verse 42, where he gives more details. brought a linen shroud, and taking him down, wrapped him in linen shroud, and laid him in a tomb that had been cut out of the rock. And he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, saw where he was laid. So here we have our second witness to our stand. And this man, he's a wealthy man, Joseph of Arimathea, It says he was a respected man in verse 43. He was a member of the council, and Pilate appears to trust this man. And as we just saw, Joseph wants to give Jesus a proper burial. Why? Because Jesus, the Son of God, was hanging dead on a cross. And why do we bring this up in our courtroom? Because Jesus, as Mark is showing us, he was really dead. He was truly dead. It says in verse 45, it says he was a corpse. So Joseph took his body. Joseph wrapped him properly in linen cloth and buried him in a tomb with a large stone covering it. You know, uh, there's a a few other details that aren't in the book of Mark, other pieces of evidence to further the fact that Jesus died. You know, we see in the book of John, we, we know that Roman soldiers Come up, and after he was, after Jesus was already considered dead, they pierced his side to make sure, absolutely sure, that he was dead. And then, in the in the book of Matthew, it says, Pilate, a man whose reputation, his very reputation, was at stake. He sent guards to the he he sent guards to the tomb to ensure the dead body, to ensure that it would not be stolen. And then uh, we bring back to the stand, looking back at our first three eyewitnesses, these three women verse 47 says, they saw Joseph do all of this. They witnessed him do all of this. The women saw Joseph bury Jesus dead. They saw him do this on a Friday at the very end of the day before dark. They wanted to do it before Saturday. They wanted to do all this before Saturday because Saturday was considered the Sabbath. And then we see in chapter 16, verse 1, uh, this is what it says: When the Sabbath was past, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome bought spices so they might go and anoint him. And very early on the day of the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb, and they were saying to one another, "Who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb?" And so our first three, uh, our, 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 first, our, our three women, our first eyewitnesses, Mary, Mary, and Salome, after the Sabbath. On Sunday, they want to honor Jesus uh, by taking spices to his tomb, and they want to anoint him. Why? (laughs) Because the last time they saw Jesus, he was dead, and he was wrapped in linen, buried in a tomb, a heavy tomb that these women could not move on their own. But when they got to the tomb, you know, their anxiety and their worries of how they're going to move this rock, how they're going to move this tomb, it was taken care of. Why? Because the guarded tomb was uh, It was open the stone had rolled away. You know, the book of Matthew, it says it was an earthquake. An angel, that an angel of the Lord moved it. But Mark doesn't share that. He writes simply uh, that it had been rolled away. It was observed to be moved. And then we see starting in verse 4 of chapter 16. And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. And we have a very descriptive account here. And I think we can understand it a little bit uh, because we have a young man uh, sitting in a tomb with a white robe where once laid a dead body. I would be alarmed too, right? And then look at Mark, look what it says starting in verse six. And he said to them, do not be alarmed. You see, Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified, he has risen. He is not here See the place where they laid him, but go, tell his disciples and Peter, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. You know just like the crucifixion last week, uh, where, where Mark gives just a li- just very little description of the crucifixion. Mark just said he was crucified. Uh, the exact same thing happen- is happening here in the resurrection account. Rather than giving descriptions of his resurrection, Mark simply uh, describes the evidence that it really happened, that it was witnessed. And as we see, these three women walk into an empty tomb and see a young man in white clothing. And the young man looks at them and says, he was crucified, (laughs) he was risen, and he is not here. And they're not pointed to mystical or some sort of a luminous experience, no. They're pointed to something they actually witnessed. He says, look, they laid over there. Remember where you saw that he was laid dead? And and now he's gone. And then the young man says in verse 7, go and tell Peter and the disciples that he is going before you in Galilee. And then uh, the book of Matthew abruptly ends in verse 8 with the same, what seems to be some sort of crash landing here by saying in verse 8, and they went out and fled from the tomb for trembling and astonishment had seized them and they said nothing to anyone for they were afraid. (laughs) And the story ends abruptly. Uh, with the women silenced in fear. Now, if you're paying attention here, if you're being an astute student and looking at your Bible in the book of Mark, you would say, wait a second, wait a second. This story is not over. It has not ended. What about verses 9 through 20? Uh, Well, if you look at your Bible, you'll notice it's bracketed, most likely with a footnote. In essence, it's, it's widely believed, some have said, virtually certain that verses 9 to 20 were added much later the earliest available manuscripts do not have verses 9 to 20. Uh, And the manuscripts that added verses 9 to 20 have quite a bit of discrepancy in them. Uh, There's also a significant stylistic difference that comes up, making it seem as if Mark did not even write this. You know, I bring this up not to determine uh, if we should read it or not, or if it's inspired scripture or not, but rather I bring it up for two reasons. First, because uh, it shows up in our Bible and it needs explaining. Uh, And then secondly, I want to use this as further evidence that we can be very, very certain with much confidence that the Bible that we have is historically accurate. And the fact that this last section of Mark is bracketed is further proof of the amount of precision taking in dealing with the the accuracy and the reliability of the Bible. We know that... (laughs) We know that there were many copies, and in some cases, hundreds of copies of the New Testament that were circulated after the original manuscripts uh, that, that were used in determining all of this, how they were going to put this together. And this is, this is what I mean. Just follow me for a second. Think about this. If I wrote you a letter, uh, and then, uh, not, then, then you and 99 people copied it, uh, word for word. Right, this, this was your job. This is your very job that you got paid to do with precision and accuracy to get it right. If I took away the original manuscript, you could bring all the other manuscripts together, the copies, and figure out what the original manuscript said. And if one scribe made an error, there were still 99 that were correct. I say this because we can be very, very confident that the amount of Jesus' life, the account of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection was recorded with precision. And it was taken into great consideration for its historical accuracy. We can have great confidence in the reliability of the Bible, believing and knowing with certainty that Jesus really performed miracles, that Jesus really died a criminal's death, that he really was buried in a tomb, and then he really rose from the dead. We can have great confidence that the resurrection really happened as history, as factual history. You know, if, if Mark's account was not enough evidence for you, Let's look at a few other pieces of evidence to bring, uh, to, bring to the stand today. Because Mark's pretty brief, uh, and he only mentions the first, uh, first few eyewitnesses. But we know uh, from other gospel accounts that Peter was the next to come and see the empty tomb. And then when we read in other parts of the Bible, uh, not, only, not, not only do other accounts mention the empty tomb, but they also saw Jesus himself alive, walking, living, living. After he was crucified and dead, they saw him walking for 40 days, it says in the book of Acts. And during those 40 days, after his death, 1 Corinthians 15 says he appeared to over 500 men at one time. They saw him. These 500 men, they saw him and they witnessed him. And not only did they witness him alive after his death, his disciples and many of his followers were willing to die for being his followers. Why? because they witnessed his resurrection. They saw him rise from the dead. And if we're not satisfied uh, with the Bible as our only piece of evidence, we know from outside sources, not in the Bible, some from opponents of Christianity, that many of his disciples' followers died and never recounting their faith. They They were martyrs for their faith. They never recounted their faith. And as one writer has said, men will die for a conviction, but they will never die for a concoction. The men that walked with Jesus were close to him. They, they watched him die and witnessed him alive after his crucifixion. And they were all under the conviction that Jesus rose from the dead. Why? Because they witnessed it. They were convinced that it was true. They were either all, all of these people, they were e- all, either all wickedly deceived by Jesus as the greatest con artist of all time, or Jesus really rose from the dead. And Jesus really was who he said he was. You know, there's a, there's, there's a lot of theories trying to disprove his death and resurrection. It's truly fascinating, I think. Uh, most are rather uh, entertaining and pretty funny. You know, I, I love this type of stuff, the mystery of all of it, uh, because, you know, Jesus's body is nowhere to be found. He's the most famous Uh, religious figure, one of the most famous religious figures in the world, if not the most famous, where his body is nowhere to be found. It's the greatest unsolved murder mystery on the planet in the history of the world. A man that healed the sick, the blind, the deaf, a man that performed miracle after miracle, that studied and upheld the Old Testament law perfectly. He spoke and taught on love and kindness and generosity and caring for the poor and the sick. His teachings are deemed to be a standard of moral ethics around the world, even for his opponents. Even for his opponents, and even today, other religions around the world love his teachings. They tell his followers to read his teachings and study it. It's widely believed that he was a wise teacher, a loving man, possibly even a prophet. But yet, when Jesus' opponents get to the resurrection, they start to stumble. They start to stumble. But what we must understand is that these cannot be separated. It's logically inconsistent. Logically inconsistent. But if we consider the evidence we consider the evidence here in the courtroom of our homes today the only thing that makes logical sense is that jesus was as we've said either the greatest con artist of all time or he was the savior of the world that lived died and truly rose from the dead and as we look back at the ending of mark uh, where we're left uh, with mark's crash landing ending to the book scratching our head asking the question that comes up that we all ask well well now what now what Mark has placed the verdict in our hands. (laughs) We've seen the evidence, and now we're left with the question, now what? Mark showed us that the resurrection happened, that Jesus rose from the dead, just like he told his disciples he would do the entire time. He said it repeatedly over and over again, three times in the book of Mark it shows up, which makes us believe that he probably said a lot more times than just three times. You know, Mark has presented the evidence, and now we're left with the decision. What are we going to do about it? What are we going to do? And Mark has made it clear, seeing the response of these women in verse eight, after they were faced head-on with the truth of the resurrection, these women left astonished, silenced, and fearful. Why? Because their lives could no longer be the same. Their lives could no longer be the same. And so, us today saying, "Well, uh, that's a cool story. This is this is pretty interesting," Uh, or "Wow, Jesus, Jesus is a neat person. He's a nice guy. Uh, He makes me feel good about myself." You know, if we're, if we're left with that response, that it's just a nice, cool story, that's clear evidence that we didn't understand the story, that we've missed it. Saying it's a nice story is not an option. That's not in the cards for us today. No, either Jesus was the Son of God worthy of our complete devotion, where we take risks for the kingdom of God, like Joseph of Arimathea, Arimathea did in this story, or we completely reject him, the resurrection. Right? we, could, we, we Because the resurrection is not to be taken lightly. We must decide, what's the verdict? Is Jesus the Son of God that rose from the dead, that's worthy of our devotion, or is he the greatest con artist of all time? And before you decide, uh, before we close our case here today, I want us to take a moment and consider a few of the implications of the resurrection. Why the resurrection is so hopeful. Why the fact that Jesus rose from the dead gives us so much hope today on Easter Sunday, during a global crisis, which leads us to our second and final point. Number two, the hope of the resurrection. You may be asking, why in the world is the resurrection such a big deal? How can the resurrection give us hope today? How can the resurrection give us hope right now? Well, I'm glad you asked, because as I've said, everything in the Christian faith hinges on the resurrection being true. You know, if, if Jesus was not raised from the dead, if it did not happen, if it is not true, then as the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians fifteen fourteen, if Christ has not been raised from the dead, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. You know, uh, we love... We love stories of redemption. Uh, We love comeback stories. We love uh, the truth knowing that our sin is washed clean. The truth of the cross, Jesus' death, shows us that Jesus paid the penalty for our sins, that he died the death that we deserve. It's a heroic action. It provides for us a comeback story. It washes us clean. We get the righteousness that Jesus earned. He took our place, and we are accepted by God the Father for eternity. where we see see there'll be no more death, no more crying, no more pain, no more tears, no more viruses, no more pandemics. Our Christian hope, what we look forward to in the future, our Christian hope looks past our present-day circumstances into eternity with God. The, The Bible speaks of a glorious day, a day that will be with our Maker, who has made us new. We love the picture of heaven, and we should, because it's all great and glorious news, but brothers and sisters, if Jesus did not rise from the dead, we do not have an eternal hope. None of this is good news. None of this good news is good news if Jesus did not rise from the dead. The picture of heaven that we love, the story of redemption that we celebrate without the resurrection, it's not possible. It's not possible. Why, you ask? Because if Jesus did not rise from the dead, he did not defeat sin and death, but rather he was defeated by sin and death. If Jesus was defeated by the cross, if he died and he did not rise, that means he was not God. He was merely a human. And if Jesus was not God and merely a human, we have absolutely nothing to celebrate today because he was dead on a cross. If Jesus died on the cross and did not rise, that means our greatest hope today is getting out of quarantine. It's in the recovery of the stock market or find a coronavirus vaccine. If Jesus stayed dead Buried in a tomb, and that means that God is not in control, and we are left to the randomness of the universe. We are left believing as Ernest Hemingway tragically believed. The earth goes from nothingness to nothingness. If Jesus stayed dead, then whoever Whatever rules the headlines rules the day, and our hope is found in this world, and our hope is not found in heaven. If Jesus did not rise from the dead, then Jesus and his words do not reign supreme in the comfort that we find in biblical community sitting under the authority of God's word that we claim speaks to us and guides us and comforts us and counsels us. If, if Jesus did not rise from the dead, it's all fake. It's all a lie. All of it. If Jesus stayed buried in a tomb, then the fruits of the Spirit are dead. They're just no, it's nothing more than poetry. If Jesus did not appear to his disciples after his death, then we do not have a great commission. And we of all people, New City Church, should be pitied and our lives and our struggles and our sacrifices are laughable because we're living for a lie. But brothers and sisters, New City Church, let me remind you, we are not living for a lie because as we have seen put on trial today, the verdict is out. Jesus was not left dead in a tomb. No, Jesus rose from the dead. And because Jesus rose from the dead, when we put our faith in Jesus, we can rejoice in knowing that he defeated sin and death. He took our sin and shame. He gave us his righteousness. He confirmed his divinity. He provided redemption. He sealed the promise of the Holy Spirit. He illuminated his word, continuing, confirming that our God is not dead. But no, our God is alive. Our God is living and active. Our God is in complete control and he is sovereign over the entire universe. We are not left to the randomness of the universe. No, we are guided by the infinite wisdom of God. We don't go from nothingness to nothingness. No, our God is the creator and sustainer of the whole world. He holds the whole world in His hands. He created us with a plan. He gave us a purpose. And He is alive, guiding us by His Spirit and the authority of His Word to live out the mission that God has placed in our lives that we call the Great Commission, where God says to us in great authority, not as a man dead in a grave, but no, He says to us as alive, He says to us, I am with you always to the end of the age. Brothers and sisters, when we believe that Jesus rose from the dead, we can find great comfort in knowing that God is with us. He's with us in quarantine. He's with us in our uncertainty, and he's with us when, we all, when all we see is a bleak future. And by his word, he reminds us our hope is not found in this world. No, our hope is found in heaven. Our future hope that we look to, when, when, when we grasp the picture ahead of us, us, when we grasp the goodness of God, when we grasp that our God is alive, tied to the truth of the resurrection, all of a sudden we realize that we are not alone. We realize that nothing can stop the goodness of God, not the coronavirus, not, not our quarantine, and not a spiraling economy. Brothers and sisters, God cannot be stopped. The enemy can attempt to slow God down, but it's nothing more than a weak and futile attempt because as we know from the beginning of time, God God has been using the enemy's evil purposes for his good. God sits on the throne alive and his son Jesus is sitting right next to him at his right side using his enemy as his footstool. And as we close out our time tonight, if we have put our faith in Jesus, we can celebrate the resurrection today because it's our promise. It's our sealed promise that our God has won the war. Our hope and our future is secured. Our hope and future, if we are in Christ, it's not projected to be an 8-8 and season. Our hope and future is not dependent on a waffling news cycle or the sinking sand of probability. (laughs) If we proclaim Christ as Lord, believe in Jesus through faith, if we believe that the resurrection is true, get this, our hope and future is secure. Our hope and our future is stable. Our hope and our future is a firm foundation. When we, fix our, when we fix our eyes on the things of God, on the promises God has given us now, and take our eyes off the fleeting things of the world, they give only a false sense of hope. When we fix our eyes on our God that is alive and with us and speaking to us and comforting us and directing us, all of a sudden joy begins to arise in our hearts because we realize that although things right now may be tough things right now may be hard and just not fun in light of eternity with god our maker we can still rejoice we can still rejoice because in second corinthians chapter 4 as paul says it's all light and momentary it's all light and momentary and light of eternity Brothers and sisters, no matter our circumstances today, no matter what this world finds in your life, we can sing and we can rejoice and we can celebrate because our God sits on the throne. Our God is ruling the world. Our God is alive and He is with us, leading us towards an unbelievable future hope. Why, you ask? Because the verdict is out. The case is closed. Jesus rose from the dead. Jesus is alive. Let's celebrate the risen Lord. Let's pray. Father, you are alive. You are living and active. You did not stay in a grave. No, you overcame the grave. Father, I don't know what people are dealing with. In the, in the comfort of their own home, I don't know what there's going on in their heart and their mind, but Father, I pray that you would work in them, that you would give them a sense of hope, that you would remind them that the resurrection is true. They would see that the resurrection is true, that they would know and believe that Jesus is alive and that God has not left us, but know God is with us now and He, is all, he will always be with us for the end of, until the end of time, if we are in Christ. Father, the resurrection is true, Jesus is alive, and today we can rejoice. Father, we ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.